Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. We may have more leadership consultants and experts than ever before in our world, and perhaps less true leadership. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. At the end of this broadcast, I want you to stay tuned and listen for the coupon code to receive my New York Times bestseller relaunch at a reduced price. I want you to have it. I want you to get as many copies as you want and give them to friends and those in need, particularly leaders. You can also go to drmarkrutland.com and enter the coupon code RELAUNCH, but there'll be someone to share that with you at the end of this podcast. The Leader's Notebook is always about life, faith, relationships, and leadership. This series I'm in right now is definitely about leadership. If you've missed some of the other episodes, then they're always archived, and I hope that you'll get them and listen to the whole series, and I do so hope they entice you to get the book. This book has been a tremendous seller for us. I'm so glad colleges and universities use it as textbooks in leadership and management, and and nothing, of course, could throw me anymore. It has also served to a large extent as the basis for the National Institute of Christian Leadership, which I teach the NICL. I hope that you will go online and check out the NICL, T-H-E-N-I-C-L dot com, the NICL dot com. And I hope that you'll come and join me or perhaps consider sending a group of leaders from your staff or your church that you would like to see take part in the NICL. Practical, hands-on, down-to-earth teaching about leadership and management, and I believe it will be a life-changing series for them, and I believe they will thank you forever and ever. TheNICL.com. Now, we're on this series about the book Relaunch. I've been talking about the fact that there were really three major relaunching or, or revitalizing turnaround laboratories in my life. One was Calvary Church in Orlando, One was Southeastern College, which became Southeastern University during my administration, and then Oral Roberts University. Each of them had things that were different from the other two, that were unique, challenges, opportunities, problems. And yet the fundamental issue for all three of them was that leadership had failed. I believe that leadership is easier to describe and harder to do. Leadership may be the one arena of life where that old insulting maxim is actually true, those who can do, those who can't teach. If a man who can't lead teaches leadership, however, you just get impractical ideas and abstractions rather than mandates for action. This has always concerned me, and it's one of the reasons that I'm so much about training leaders through the NICL. I I wound up with several degrees. I have an undergraduate degree and two postgraduate degrees. And I found that so much of what I was taught was irrelevant, perhaps at worst and at best, divorced from so much of the real things that I had to deal with. 
I've got a four-credit A in the postgraduate level in apocryphal literature, and nobody ever mentioned to me that I might have a problem with somebody on a board that I was leading. So I, I want to deal in the NICL and on the leader's notebook and in this book, uh, Relaunch, I want to deal with real things, not just, not just untested leadership theories that get in the way. The artificial drives out the genuine if you allow it to. One of the reasons it's difficult to learn everything you need to know about leadership from a seminar or a book like mine is that leadership is in a large part, art, as well as science. I know this uh, can sound a little bit mystical and maybe out of reach, but it is absolutely true. A sculptor may have a strategic plan for turning a block of granite into a, a beautiful statue. He knows where he wants to go in general. But to a large extent, he is guided by his inner sense rather than totally objective measurements. A musician can play a piece of music with technical skill, but she hasn't become a master until she has that inner connection to what she plays. You can tell the difference between a musician who has that connection and one who is simply skilled. It, there's a, a coldness that comes to skilled but unemotional piano work or music. Leadership also has an intuitive aspect. Science helps you lead. Statistics and research and facts help you lead. Medicine and psychology help you lead. But in the final analysis, it may well be the way a leader has developed his art, sharpened his leadership senses, fine-tuned his, his leader's intuition that will ultimately prevail. That's why before we consider the nuts and bolts of the leadership engine, and perhaps before you even step on the property of the institution, you need to reinvent if you've been called to take part or lead a turnaround. I want you to consider a few elements of the art of leadership. It has been said that leadership is doing the right thing and management is doing things right. Far be it for me to argue with Peter Drucker, and I understand the distinction that he made in that statement, but I just see it otherwise. I think they are two sides of the same coin. Leadership and management are essential parts of true servanthood in legitimate authority. Servant leadership comprehends visioning with a group of people as a leader, yes, but with a servant's heart. Servant management is about the practical empowerment, the, the effectuation of that vision, but still with the servant's heart. When leadership and management collide, it's not because, or when they're perpendicular to each other, it's not because one or the other of them is wrong. It's because true servanthood has been lost in the balance in one or perhaps both of them. When leaders lose their sense of servanthood, they yield to hubris and resist wise counsel. They refuse to listen. They run past practical managers who are truly trying to make the vision work. When that happens, train wrecks will inevitably follow. When managers, especially middle managers, lose their sense of servanthood, they become bureaucratic bullies. Rules and regulations in their hands are not just the rails the vision runs on, but the wall it runs into. 
They lose track of the fact that management functions exist to empower others, not themselves. When that happens, the train stops moving. When servanthood surrenders to narcissism and arrogance, rules always trump vision. Regulations are more important than people. Leaders who forget they are servants set booby traps and then gloat when others fall in. The issue is not so much whether leadership is more important than management. The issue is that without the great lubricant of servanthood, the gears will grind against each other and finally grind to a halt. Eisenhower, General Eisenhower, who later became President Eisenhower, said, we're going to liberate France and move toward invading Germany by the summer of 1945. He was at that point making a visionary leadership statement in the service of liberty. Management, all the management issues had to come forward then to make that invasion or liberation vision work. Management had to make sure there were enough tanks and troops and carriers and food and equipment and ammunition and all the rest. They had to figure out which roads were passable. Do they have the right maps? Do they have the right trained tank crews? And do they have replacements ready because the loss is in blood? They have to deal with all of those management issues, but management is not the enemy of the vision. It's the empowering rails that the vision runs on. Likewise, vision is not the opposite of management. If, if there is no vision, what precisely are we going to manage? The managers who made Eisenhower's vision happen were servants of the vision. Leadership and management exist together only in the spirit of servanthood. When they begin to compete, when leadership and management begin to compete, Serving people is lost. Serving people we lead is a challenge because people can be downright weird, cantankerous to deal with, difficult, rebellious. They are unruly, fuzzy at the edges, contradictory, and downright strange. This means that while scientific analysis will help you move 10 million units from Tokyo to Los Angeles, the people who do the moving cannot be made better by science alone. They need fully engaged leaders who know the art, the, the encouragement, the, the influence, the power of personhood that is also a fundamental part of leadership. Broadly speaking, leadership is visionary while management is about logistics. Leaders and managers are both vital to the success of any organization. So, in a local church, the pastor may dream of expanding the property that they have, paving the parking lot, uh, extending the Sunday school wing, remodeling the uh, auditorium, all of those things, growing the number of people that attend, increasing the revenue. But it is servant managers who figure out how to manage the money to get the resources where they need to be, deal with the volunteers, do the follow-up. So it's not that one excludes the other. One can't exist without the other. The extent to which uh, servant leaders and servant managers sometimes may make one another crazy is in inverse proportion to their comprehension of servanthood. If both are in touch with servant leadership and servant management, 
the rails will run and the gears do not grind. It's servanthood that is the, the lubrication of the machine of leadership. The manager's tendency to see things in black and white is an important check on the leader's natural exuberance. A good servant management team, one that listens, that pays attention to detail, that resists the impulse to hinder visionary action, is a great luxury to a high-flying visionary leader as long as he will listen. The servant leader has to be able to hear the management truth, to be able to comprehend and accept institutional reality. He has to communicate that he wants to hear the truth. Indeed, that he demands the truth. Managers have to understand, likewise, that their job is not to stop all the vision or even slow it down. Their job is to make the vision happen. I came across a great quote by Winston Churchill. I, I really liked it. He said, we need a lot of engineers in the modern world, but we do not need a world full of engineers. He meant that while we are thankful that planes fly, microwaves work, and cell phones do their duty, all the gifts of engineers are important. We don't tie an organization to vision through engineering alone. We need leaders who have a feel for the human situation, who have developed a people sense that allows them to coach, inspire, cajole, comfort, rebuke, all the things that go with leadership, teach, and to perceive the human dynamic. In short, a leader has to be an artist of the human spirit not an engineer of logistics. People often speak of building a company or an organization. The building metaphor suggests structures that hold things in place. It speaks of stability and solidity, if you will. It is a comforting metaphor. You work hard to put up walls, and there those walls stand, holding everything in, holding everything in place, holding everything together. A place for everything and everything in its place We've said it and heard it a million times, but when it comes to a turnaround itself, the idea of a building with all its rigid structures is simply not the most helpful metaphor. When leading a turnaround, the central concept isn't the building of structures, though you will certainly be doing plenty of that, but the management of tensions. Now, by tensions, I don't necessarily mean stress in a negative sense. Our very bodies are held together by tension, the tension of muscle against muscle, muscle against bone, bone against ligament and tendon. It's tension that makes it possible for us to move. Without tension, you'd just be a puddle on the floor. So instead of the metaphor of building an organization, imagine a room, the sidewalls of which are electromagnets, perfectly balanced, equally powerful electromagnets. Theoretically, if you were to throw a handful of iron fillings into the geographical center of that room, they might shift around a little bit in the air until ultimately they find an equilibrium at which they would be suspended in midair by the tension, the equal tension on each side, magnet to the left of them, the magnet to the right of them, they would be suspended in the interaction between those two magnetic fields. A similar equilibrium is what gives shape to a healthy organization. If somebody opens a door in our imaginary magnetized room, 
or if the air conditioning comes on, the draft or the change in air pressure or whatever, it'll make the iron fillings shift a bit. They move. Everything will be in flux then until those fillings find their equilibrium again. The air conditioning comes on, they move to one side. The air conditioning goes off, they move back, and there'll be a pendular effect for a while. But sooner or later, they balance. In an organization, it's not rigid walls that hold things in place. It is ever-shifting forces, pulling and pushing until things begin to find equilibrium. The electromagnet pulling from the one side of your organization is chaos. The electromagnet pulling from the other side is control. Chaos has all the characteristics of nuclear um, movement, heat, energy, creativity. All of that happens on the chaos side. Zero degrees Kelvin, absolute zero as it's called, is the point at which molecular movement in a body stops. Without chaos, there's no life. So ultimate nuclear stability is death. Ultimate nuclear chaos is a hydrogen bomb. In an organization, chaos is where the creativity, freedom, and energy happen. It's also where the bombs explode. The train wrecks happen. Put this in leadership terms. Chaos is where high-octane leaders and entrepreneurs love to live. Control freaks, on the other hand, that's the lawyers and the accountants. They want everything fixed, settled, stable, no crisis, no problem. Control is the home of procedures and policies that keep the wheels from completely flying off. It's no coincidence that the words policy and police look so much alike. Policies like the police keep things from getting what? Out of control. Policies prevent the train wrecks that are inevitable in absolute chaos. Indeed, in the case of ultimate control, there are no train wrecks because none of the trains are moving. If the danger of chaos is train wrecks, the danger of control is organizational paralysis. The answer to both dangers is servanthood. 21st century leadership is all about understanding where your organization is and where it needs to be on this, what I call the chaos control continuum. It's art in part. I mean, there are objective things. There are statistical things that can tell you whether you need to tighten down or loosen up. But in a large part, it's such a moving target that it's intuitive. It, it requires sensitive leadership. If total chaos is, is one and total control is a 10, the ideal point of balance isn't necessarily a five. It varies according to where your organization is in its lifestyle, what's happening in the context, what's happening around you. Sometimes you need increased chaos in your organization. Sometimes you need to really fight for order, for control. Life is like that. Adolescence is all chaos. It's all messed up bedrooms and wrecked cars and speeding and chaos and lack of control. Old age is more about control, knowing where everything is, going to the restaurant when it's still nice and quiet, all of those things. But one is not right and one's not wrong. They are parts of life that exist in the same human being. 
in the prime of an organization. You're negotiating the tension between chaos and control, trying to come in balance somewhere around a five. Another way to talk about it is the tension between speed to market, that's your chaos people, and accounting or legal, that's your control people. The chaos mongers in the market, they're, they're constantly pushing you to get next year's model out faster. They're your speed to market guys. Beat the competitors to the punch. Product sells. Go. Let's do it. The accountants and the lawyers are putting together spreadsheets right in front of you, and they're worried about what a recall will cost because we didn't spend enough time getting the product really researched in R&D. Same thing happens in every part of the organization. You may have a crack salesman selling a 1,000 units a month, but he won't turn in his expense account. When he does turn in the expense account, half the time he doesn't do it right. He doesn't have the corroborating receipts. The CFO hates this guy and comes to you insisting that you do something about him. She said, fire this guy. He's making us crazy in accounting. So you're stranded in the middle. So at one point, you have to make a decision for chaos tolerance. So you say to the CFO, I'm sorry. I hate it that this is giving you trouble. But remember, he sells a 1,000 units a month. You don't sell anything. You just add stuff. So at that point, you sort of lean toward the necessary tolerance of necessary chaos. At some point, however, you may decide that the chaos agent, as creative and high-octane and great salesman he is, is no longer worth it. You may realize that you're willing to live without this guy in order to also live without the ongoing train wreck, that you'd rather hire three salesmen who sell 350 units each a month and turn their expense accounts in where you know where they are rather than one who sells a 1,000 and makes everybody stark raving mad. Maybe there's a time in which you have to tell the CFO, we're going to put up with this. Stay with me. We'll do the best we can, but we are going to deal with this. I need those 1,000 units sold. So he and the salesman and everybody all think they figured out exactly where you stand. But then there comes a moment where you realize this thing is about to blow up. I can't go any longer just on a 1,000 units sold. I've got to start having proper organization, proper management. And so now everybody's shocked when you tighten the valves and move back toward the management and control side. One of the reasons this is an artistic skill, an intuitive skill, is that there are not always statistics to make it clear which one you need to move toward. Sometimes you are the owner of the machine with your head against its chest, and you're the one who can hear the ticker. Nobody else can hear it like you. And there are times when there's not statistics to back it up, but you just sense this thing's about to blow. Let's tighten some of the valves, maybe sell a little less than we have, but I want to avoid the coming train wreck. Or opposite, you may sense this thing is grinding to a halt. And I'm going to crank it up now beyond, past all of the rules and regulations and all that. I'm going to loosen up and go for speed and for energy. That's the tension that the leader lives in. The 21st century flex leader 
and especially in a turnaround, lives between chaos and control. And the artistic side of it, the intuitive leadership side of it is knowing which way to lean when. Now, what that means, and I want to close with this, what that means is that somebody in your organization is going to be mad at you all the time. If you take a wrench and tighten the valves, all the high-octane, speed-to-market, creative, high-energy boys are going to be upset with you. If you open the valves and uh, shout down to the engine room, more coal, full speed ahead, I promise you some of the people in accounting and, and legal are going to say he's going to wreck this thing. So you're constantly flexing, depending on the context, the situation, what's happening in the world around you, what's happening in the company. Do we need to speed up? Do we need to slow down? Never in the history of an organization is that kind of intuitive leadership as important as it is in a turnaround. In a turnaround, you come into an accident scene, you put your ear to the chest of the victim. And something just tells you what to do, how to apply. Do you speed up? Do you slow down? And there's no substitute for intuitive, visionary leadership at that moment. But it has to be undergirded with the strength of practical management. I hope this has been useful to you today, and I hope this whole series on relaunch, my New York Times best-selling book, is useful to you. I hope you'll get the whole series. Or if you've missed any of the previous ones, we archive all of these episodes. I hope you'll get them, listen to them all. I also hope that you will get the book, relaunch, maybe get multiple copies and give it to some of the leaders that you believe in who might benefit from this book, Relaunch, How to Stage an Organizational Comeback by me, Mark Rutland. And this is The Leader's Notebook. To order a copy of Relaunch, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter promo code RELAUNCH to receive $7 off of each book. To order by the case, call us toll-free at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.